Well, hey, everybody, it's great to see you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online from wherever you are. I'm honored to have you along for the ride, and I bet a few of our DR friends are actually streaming. So we are international today. That's how we're rolling, yeah. Uh, but this morning, we get to continue a series called In the End. And I mentioned this last week, but it's based on conversations that I've had as I've served as a pastor for over a quarter century now, which I know is impossible to believe, but it is, in fact, true. Uh, and during these conversations that I've had with friends, specifically friends whose life is coming to an end, um, I've noticed something. It's like many of the questions that we tend to ask when we first are exploring faith, questions about life and God and pain and religion, and even like what happens when we die, uh, these questions resurface when we face either the end of our own life or the end of the life of someone that we love. And, and when the questions resurface, and this is easy to imagine, they carry an urgency that they simply didn't have when it just sort of felt like life was going to go on forever. So, said a bit differently, there are a few questions that really matter in the end. And so for five weeks, what we're doing is exploring a few of these questions with you as a sort of a way to prepare you, to prepare us all for the day when, when I guess you would say they become the most important questions of all. And so this week, um, I want to consider another question. And this one I was thinking, it may be the question I've been asked more than any other by people who are reaching the end of their time on earth. And the question goes like this. Who gets to go to heaven when they die? And this is a great question, especially when you consider the fact that the vast majority of Americans believe in heaven. So who exactly qualifies for sort of the upgrade, right? And like, what do you need to do? What do you need to have done? And, and what, if anything, disqualifies you from going to heaven? It's a really important question. And as you can imagine, this question often hits with an incredibly intense emotional charge when you're reaching the end of your life. It can be unsettling. Uh, in fact, this whole series was sparked after a conversation that I had with a good friend who was facing the end of his journey after a long battle with cancer. Uh, and he walked in and we sat on the couches right outside the door here. And he basically just in a moment of blistering honesty, he looked at me and he said, you know, I, I've just got a lot of regrets and a lot of fears and a lot of insecurities when it comes to, like, the journey of my faith. And he said, because of those regrets and fears and insecurities, I, I guess I also have concerns about where I'm going to spend eternity. He said, you know, I, 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 I'm reached the end and I'm looking back and I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I've given enough money away. And he said, I, and I don't feel like I attended church, you know, regularly enough. And, and I said, you know, I said, I haven't even really ever got around to baptizing my, my kids or even having an intentional conversation, conversation with them about, about Jesus. It's like, in the end, as my friend was considering what was going to happen to him after this life, and as he considered the fact, well, that he'd always quietly believed what many people believe, namely that you say, who goes to heaven? Well, good people go to heaven, right? And as he's reaching the end of his life, and, and this is sort of what he's thinking about, he's like, I just had this inescapable sense that I had never taken the time to figure out exactly how good was good enough. <laughs> like, this sounds good. Good people go to heaven. Great. But like, how good exactly do you have to be? 
And then he said, I, I, and then I ran this, like, he's super analytical. He said, I ran this whole series of questions. I, I found myself wondering, like, does God grade goodness on a curve? Maybe, right? And if so, how would I know where I fell on that curve? Or, or, or maybe, he said, it's like um, the scales of justice. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, maybe you just need to do more good than bad. And he's like, and I'm not sure I'm self-aware enough to know which way the scale is tipping or if I need to do some more work on the good side, if I have enough time to do it, or maybe I've already passed like the point of no return. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Yeah. And then, and then he says to me this, he said, I guess, and actually I wrote this down. This is like something I wrote on a napkin. You know, great ideas and songs are all written on napkins. Here's what he said. He goes, I've always thought that good people go to heaven, but I guess, the, he goes, I reached the end of my life, I guess that idea that good people go to heaven really isn't as logical as it seems to be. He said, especially from where I sit at the end of my life. And so then he said, okay, okay, pastor friend, guy, studied the Bible more than me. Just how do you think this works? Like who goes to heaven when they die? And in response to his question, I told him that I had some very, very, very good news for him. Beginning with the somewhat surprising fact that the authors of the Bible never tell us how to get to heaven based on our good works. Seriously. I mean, if you read it carefully, and believe me, I have, you don't find a promise of heaven for people who follow God's rules and do good anywhere in the Old Testament or anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, and this is really fascinating to think about, during the Old Testament times, God didn't even expect the children of Israel to keep all his rules. And we know this because he gave them an altar and a temple and a sacrificial system with which they could pay for their sins. So, so in the end, there are 613 Old Testament rules, commands, including the famous Ten Commandments, but they were never intended to prescribe a way for people to get to heaven. You say, well, then what were they? Well, they were a framework by which God wanted his people to organize their lives and to organize their society. In other words, God gave his people rules in order to instruct them how he desired them to behave. But those rules had nothing to do with where they would go when they died. In fact, the authors of the Old Testament don't really talk that much at all about life after death, other than to suggest that all people, good and bad, go to a mysterious, murky place called Sheol when they die. Doesn't that feel ominous, right? And we're going to actually talk about that more in the coming weeks. Um, but, but anyways, by the time of Jesus, so you turn the page from like the Old Testament to the New Testament time, so come up to around 2,000 years ago, uh, many, many Jewish people had come to believe that there was an option for an upgraded afterlife. And not surprisingly, much like us, many of them suspected that following rules was the way that you qualified for it. There was even a group of super intense Jewish religious leaders who were no fun at parties. They were called the Pharisees. And they had emerged and they had made it their full-time job to be good enough, as defined by the Old Testament rules, to earn God's good favor, both in this life and in whatever comes after this life. And so what they did was they absolutely obsessed about rule keeping and even went as far as to create new rules to keep themselves from breaking God's rules. In other words, from the perspective of first century Jewish people like the average guys, if anybody was going to be able to go to heaven based on following the rules of the Old Testament, it would have been the Pharisees. And so, 
we can begin to imagine the average Jewish person's surprise when during his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looked out at an almost exclusively Jewish audience and said this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness, your goodness, your rule-followingness, that's not a word, but you know what I mean, right? Surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus tells his audience that unless they followed God's rules better than the guys who made it their sole mission in life to follow God's rules, to be good, they couldn't go to heaven. And I'm telling you, Jesus' audience that day would have like been shocked and stunned and disturbed because if Jesus was right, and Jesus was always right, then nobody goes to heaven by being good, by their own earned goodness. And so, of course, that leads us to a really, really critical question. Like, if good people don't go to heaven, then who does? And, and as it turns out, when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, you learn that Jesus did teach people how to get to heaven, but what he taught them was something that nobody was expecting something that honestly felt too good to be true. And so uh, what I want to do just briefly is share an example from one of the accounts of Jesus' life to show you what I mean. So go with me to the end of Jesus' life. And Jesus, the last night on earth, he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. And then he's arrested. And he's falsely accused. And he's tried and he's convicted. And then he's sentenced to die on a Roman cross. And then hours later, while hanging on that cross, Jesus had a conversation with the criminals who were being crucified along with him. Like one on the right and one on the left. And an early Jesus follower named Luke recorded that conversation for us this way. Luke tells us, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Like, aren't you the promised anointed one? Right? Aren't you the one that God was going to send to restore Israel to prominence and prosperity on the world stage? Aren't you that guy? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, the guy on the other side, rebuked him. He says, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We, as in you and me, are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, the second criminal looks at the first and says, listen. We're getting what we have coming to us. Like we broke the law and we had earned our punishment. But Jesus, Jesus is innocent. He had done nothing wrong. And then as the second guy continues to speak, he makes a really strange request of Jesus. Especially when you consider he's hanging on the cross. Here's what he says. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, Jesus, please think of me when you get to the other side, when you get to heaven. Now, isn't that an interesting thing to say? I mean, this guy was in no position to ask for anything. He was like on death row. He was on death's doorstep. Plus, he had just confessed that he was guilty of the crime that had led to his crucifixion. And so nonetheless, and, and I would suspect, because he recognized something about Jesus that many other people had missed up at this point in the story, he makes his appeal. And I know what I would be thinking if I were standing there listening to the conversation. Because, you know, the scriptures tell us people were kind of standing around the cross watching them suffer. Which I don't know why. Maybe they had nothing better to do. But anyway, if I were standing there, right? I know what I would have been thinking. If I heard the request, I would have said, like, who does this guy think that he is? And what exactly do you think Jesus is going to say? 
And, but I suspect that the criminal on the cross wanted Jesus to remember him because he was absolutely convinced that he had been disqualified from heaven by his actions. Like, Jesus, remember me there because I'm not going there. In his mind, he simply wasn't good enough. But as it turns out, that's not how it works. Check out what Jesus said to the criminal who asked him to remember him when he got to heaven. And I'm telling you, it would have taken this man's breath away. Here's what Jesus said. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, Jesus looks at the guy and he says, friend, when you pass from this life, and we're talking like a few hours, and in spite of all the bad things that you've done in your life, you are going to be with me in heaven. And I'm telling you, that statement would have been absolutely unbelievable to the convicted criminal, but it was nonetheless true. And it points us to a reality that has the potential to change everything for everyone when it comes to eternity. Because as it turns out, Jesus didn't teach that good people went to heaven. And he didn't teach that in the end, everyone got what they deserved. In fact, he repeatedly promised people that in the end, people had the opportunity to get exactly what they don't deserve. I mean, like as strange as it sounds, if you believe in Jesus, and this is just something I was thinking about this week, if you believe in Jesus, you can't really believe that good people are going to go to heaven when they die because that's not what Jesus believed and it's not what Jesus taught. Instead, and I think this is worth, you know, writing down, it's our big idea for today. I'm not a big tattoo guy, but this would be one I would consider if I were a tattoo guy. Here's what Jesus taught. Good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. And what's more, God doesn't forgive people for the bad that they've done based on the good that they've done. That's what we think. That's not what Jesus thought. That's not how Jesus said this works. Instead, God forgives people for the bad that they've done solely based on their faith or belief or trust, and those are all synonyms, in the good that has been done for them when Jesus died for them on the cross, said more personally, God will forgive you, God will forgive me for all of the bad that we have done when we personally embrace the sacrifice of Jesus. And so in the end, it's not what we do or don't do that determines where, whether we go to heaven when we die. Our eternal destination is determined by whether or not we have placed our faith in what Jesus has done for us. And by the way, um, this, is the, this is why Jesus claimed to be the only way to get to heaven. I've had conversations with, with people from different faiths for pretty much my whole adult life, and this is always a sticking point. Like, well, your, your guy said he's the only way. And it's like, well, yeah, he kind of did say that because I kind of think that he is that, but there's a reason he is that. So before you disengage, you want to you wanna hear me out. Uh, what Jesus accomplished on the cross from the perspective of heaven was completely unique. And he actually said as much one day during a conversation with his first followers. They asked him, you know, how do we get to heaven to be with the heavenly father? Jesus, how do we get there? What is the path? What is the way? And here's what Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, the heavenly father, except 
through me. And it's like, we can't miss this. In this moment, Jesus doesn't just claim to know a way for someone to get to heaven. He claims to be the way for someone to get to heaven. There's a massive difference. I guess you, I, I guess you could even say this. Uh, apart from Jesus, nobody goes to heaven. Not even somebody who's really, really, really good. Like, like, I mean, as counterintuitive as it seems, goodness, as in earned goodness through following the rules, has nothing to do with salvation. But, now let's be honest, if that's true, then it raises another really great question. I mean, how exactly did Jesus do it? What did he do that no one else could do? And the authors of the New Testament tell us that it had everything to do with his blood. And as it turns out, the image of blood was absolutely loaded with meaning to Jewish people in the first century. Because at that time, they had been sacrificing animals to God, like blood had been spilled on the altar in the front of the temple in Jerusalem, in order to have their sins forgiven for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And they understood, because God had told them, that his forgiveness wasn't something that could be granted without the sacrifice of blood. And so they understood that every time someone sinned, something had to die. Let me say that again. Every time someone sinned, something had to die. And so the Jewish people functioned under this understanding for generations. In fact, until the day that God sent to earth a very different type of blood sacrifice for sin. And there's a man named John, one of Jesus' uh, early followers. He was actually Jesus' cousin initially. But um, G John wrote about this in one of those accounts of Jesus' life. And, and John actually said that one day, uh, as Jesus was approaching a man named John the Baptist, who at the time was immersing people in the Jordan River, down near the Dead Sea, John points to Jesus and he says this, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. God has sent us a Lamb who will take away the sins of the world. Literally lift up and carry away. And I'm telling you, in this moment, John revealed the ultimate goal of Jesus' time on earth. To once and for all take care of the problem of sin that kept even the best people from going to heaven. Because as it turns out, in order to get to heaven... You have to be completely free from sin. And as the one and only Son of God, Jesus' blood has the power and the potential to cleanse your sin. In fact, nothing but the blood of Jesus has the power and potential to cleanse your sin. We should write a song about that. Right? Yeah. Like, think about this. All of your sins, past present and future and i say that jesus blood has the power because it does and that's true for everyone everywhere and i say that it has the potential because like like we talked about last week when we were together god doesn't want to force relationship on anyone who doesn't desire it and so said differently god would never force someone to accept the sacrifice of jesus and go to heaven who didn't want to he loves us all enough to let us say no However, for all who freely choose to accept the sacrifice of Jesus for their sins, and this is, this is absolutely incredible, those people 
can actually know where they stand with God. And they can know where they stand with God and know that they will go to heaven when they die. Because in the end, as we've said, entrance into heaven has nothing to do with someone's earned goodness or lack of earned goodness. It has everything to do with what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross. Isn't that incredible? And isn't that, isn't that freeing, right? And honestly, that reality helps us understand what all of those authors and all of those letters that make up much of the New Testament were celebrating. It's almost like you get the sense as they're writing these letters to these young Christian communities, they're just erupting with gratitude and thankfulness for what Jesus accomplished. And I just picked three of my favorite examples, so we'll hit them real quick. In a letter to the Ephesians, here's what Paul writes. He says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Or, or check out this one. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Or just one more, I couldn't help myself, and you've heard this one before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes or trusts or puts their faith in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm telling you, I could go on and on and on, but you get my point. There's a massive difference between the idea that good people go to heaven and what Jesus offered. I mean, in like the good people go to heaven version, um, that says that, you know, if you want to go to heaven, you need to try harder to do better. And life becomes about endlessly trying harder to do better to earn something. But see, the Jesus version says that when we simply acknowledge our need for a Savior, we acknowledge that we have a problem with sin and that God desires to be our Savior, and then we recognize that God sent Jesus to be just that. I'm telling you, that's a big difference. The good people go to heaven version versus the Jesus version. It's a big difference. And honestly, that's what makes Christianity different than pretty much every other faith system out there. You say, well, what, what, what is it that makes Christianity so different? I would say just one word. I would say grace. Amazing. Grace. And so just one more thing. Um, and I was thinking about this this week. I, it's kind of, if you think about it, I guess that it'd be fair to say that the reason good people don't go to heaven is that from God's perspective, there, there really aren't any good people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know? Yay, what'd you learn in church? Well, it was really uplifting. Yeah. Um, there are only sinners who fall short of his standard because his standard is perfection. And so to be fair, we look around and we go, well, I'm not as bad as, you know, them, right? And, and that can be true. Some of us can be more gooder than others of us. But I'm telling you, prior to embracing the sacrifice of Jesus, we are all sinners. In the eyes of heaven, we're sinners nonetheless because we've fallen short of the glory and the perfection that God designed for us. And, and here's the thing. We can promise to try harder, to do better. But even if we're perfect moving forward in this life, which honestly, I, I'm just telling you, I won't be, Right? 
um, we would still have the ability, or no ability to pay God back for the wrong that we've done in our past. But see, the good news, the incredible news, the gospel is that he loves us. And so he decided to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He decided to pay for all of our sins himself because he wanted us all to understand beyond the shadow of a doubt that in heaven, everybody's welcome. And in heaven, everybody gets in the same way by the blood of Jesus. It's like in the end, believing is the only criteria because when we believe, the authors of the New Testament tell us that God transfers the righteousness of Jesus onto us and we're clean before him and we're perfect before him. Again, not because of us, but all because of Jesus. And I, I don't know about you, but what, what all this does to me is it leaves me feeling overwhelmingly thankful. I don't even, I, can, I, I feel like I just brush up against this and I'm overwhelmed. Because if this is true, and I'm convinced that it is, then we're never going to get over what Jesus did for us. When we cross over to the other side and we understand the goodness that God intends for us for eternity, and that Jesus was the way that we all got there, I mean, I'm telling you, we will never get over that. And so what I want to do as we close our time together, is to, we're going to have the band come, we're going to play a song, and just give you a moment to reflect on that reality. To in your own way just say, Thank you to your heavenly father for the gift of Jesus. Or, or maybe, you know, you're here and you've been kicking the tires for a while and you've been exploring faith and it's like interesting talks and the music's great. Um, but, but today, like for you, you've never understood how this worked until right now. And if that's you, I, during the song, I would just encourage you to take a moment and just to pray. And to tell your Heavenly Father that you want to accept the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins for the first time. And the incredible news is that God has done everything necessary for you and I to go to heaven other than to force us. And so if you're here this morning and you're ready during this last song, I would encourage you just to tell him, to thank him, and to tell him that you want to be ready for him to greet you in heaven when you reach the end of this life. Because in the end, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And your heavenly Father wants you to be forgiven. The song that we're going to listen to is, um, it's simply called Gratitude. And so... Just let these words wash over you and then after the song I'll come back and I'll close our time together in prayer.
so good and he loves you so so much would you join me and stand close our time in prayer once again this week if, if something is stirring in you and you'd like to talk to someone we'd love to meet you under the screen on the left and just offer a, a word of prayer and a listening ear for the rest of us let me close our time Father we are overwhelmed overwhelmed this morning with the gospel the good news of Jesus and what it means for each and every one of us I pray for friends that that may be nearing the end of their journey on this earth or someone that they love is nearing the journey the end of the journey and I pray that this truth would cause hope to rise light to shine in darkness because we can rest in knowing that our future is secure because of Jesus and so we thank you and we bless you and we praise you in his name the name above all names the name of Jesus and everyone said Amen, friends. It has been good to be with you. Yeah. Oof. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.